I'll tell you what, this whole series just continues to play through my mind, thinking about things, and, and it's like God puts, put it in there, and it's bubbling, fermenting, aging, and it needs to get out. It needs to get out, so that's what we're doing. Today, we've, we've already laid the foundation. Last week, we talked about the fact that sin is generational, that Exodus 20 says that the sins of the fathers or the iniquities of the fathers are passed down to the generations, three and four generations. Today, we're going to talk about the legal access, at, legal access that the enemy has and where it comes from. I'm still not going to get to the solution. I won't get to the solution next week either. You have to wait till we get there. How many of you have dust in your house? (laughs) Do you know what dust primarily is made of? It's dead skin cells. I didn't realize that until we had some guy come to demonstrate a vacuum, a really super-duper whoop-de-doo vacuum cleaner. Did you ever have one of those where the guy comes and he's there for hours, wants you to buy this $6 million vacuum cleaner, can't understand why you won't buy it. And so he goes through the whole thing and he says, well, here, let, let's show this. And he goes trumping in the bedroom, grabs the bedspread, rips it down, grabs the sheet, rips the sheet down, gets to the mattress and, you know, does something on the mattress into this little filter. So you see all this powdery stuff? That's dust mites and dust. That's all your dead skin cells. Skin cells, dust mites. Your house is full of dust mites. Did you know that? You wanted to know that, didn't you? They feed on dead skin cells. Okay. They feed on dead flesh. Got the idea? Turn to Jude six. Jude is the second to last book of the Bible, just before Revelation. It's only one chapter, so they don't even say one chapter. It's just verses. So it's Jude 6. Jude verse 6, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. What this verse is saying is that what God has done with the demons, the fallen angels, is he has relegated them He has chained them in darkness. They are caged in. They are bound. They have chains on them. They have limited freedom and access, okay? Then why are they messing with me is what you're thinking, right? What kind of darkness have they been bound in? Sin. Sin to demons is like dead skin cells to the dust mites. They feed on sin, They are energized by sin. Demonic spirits, fallen angels, are energized by sin. They derive their power from it. They they derive their access. They can get to places. They can do things. They travel in sin, darkness, okay? You got it? If you ever want to read about the dynamics of that, a book that we read years ago, a couple books that we read years ago, that just kind of pictures it. Sometimes you need imagery to help you understand things. Frank Peretti's book, uh, Piercing the Darkness in This Present Darkness, so powerfully describes that and, and pictures that of how when people are in sin, it energizes the demons, and when people pray, it energizes angels. And there's a whole conflict going on in the spirit realm 
depending on what's happening on earth, and that's what we talked about in our introduction, that there's, there's a dynamic between the spiritual and the physical, between the supernatural and the natural, there's interaction. And so what God is saying here in Jude 6 is that fallen angels, he's chained them up. He's put them in a lockbox, but it's sin. They travel in moral darkness. So if we provide them space, guess what? It's like an invitation. Second Peter chapter 2. Oh, there's one other book I want to mention. Another book that helps, helped us so much to understand these dynamics that I'm going to be talking about, and I'll refer to it later, is The Three Battlegrounds by Francis Frangipan. And he talks about three areas of battle that we deal with as Christians. One is the world. You know that the world system is, is something that we battle all the time, and it's contrary to God's kingdom. The second place is the devil. The devil is after us. We battle the devil. We're taught to fight. And the third place is our heart, (laughs) us, our flesh. And you know which one's the most dangerous? You know which one's the most powerful? You know which one is our greatest enemy? Us. (laughs) It really is because that's the heart of the battle. If we conquer that, the other ones are, are a piece of cake. If we conquer our hearts, if we're submitted to the Lord, if we live in righteousness and holiness, the other ones is a piece of cake, okay? So uh, Francis Frangipan's book, The Three Battles, oh, I'll just throw this in here because I thought about it. That book, we should have bought stock in that book because we bought so many copies, handed out to so many people through the years. We, we ran into it about 20 years ago. We could, we could give that book to people and say, here, read this book, and it'll help you understand. And people come back to say, I can't read it. I don't, it's, it confuses me. I can't. I can't read it. Well, then we knew they had a spiritual problem. We knew that there were issues in them that was blinding them to the truth that was in the book. It's that kind of a book. It's that kind of a book. And people, people that were open to the Lord and had a certain amount of freedom could read it and then gain more freedom through reading the book. Other people just couldn't understand it. Second Peter 2.4 says this, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. It's saying the same thing. They've been cast down to hell. They're reserved in darkness, chains of darkness. Well, what's darkness? It's sin. It's moral darkness. That's where they live. That's where they thrive. So think about it. The more sin there is in a region or a country, the more the enemy has room to work. The less sin there is in a country or in a nation or the way in a region, the less room the enemy has to work and to do things. Understand? Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. He works in the sons of disobedience. He works in disobedience. Satan loves disobedience. He loves sin. He loves making people miserable. And that's his domain. That's... That's where he gets his energy. That's where he gets his power. That's where he gets to do what he, what he does. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Look at this, this verse, actually 16 through 19. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Okay, just let's just hang there for a minute. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, 
whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. What's that saying? That we can yield ourselves to the enemy and produce sin, or we can yield ourselves to God and produce righteousness and holiness. But God, we thank that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Depending on who we're putting ourselves under depends, will we'll, we'll produce a certain kind of fruit. When two people get married and they come together, they have children. There's fruit that comes from the relationship. There's children that come. The Bible often, especially Old Covenant scriptures, talk very often of God calling his relationship with his people, Israel, as a marriage. And when Israel was unfaithful, he calls Israel a prostitute or an adulteress or those, and he uses that language a lot, that unfaithfulness. And here we have the imagery a little bit again, where people who fall into sin produce lawlessness. And you notice that you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So when you give yourselves to sin, guess what happens? More sin. We saw the progression last week that sin down through the generations, as it passed down through the generations, it gets more pronounced and worse, more wicked, more perverted, more evil. And it's the same with us. If you ever start to practice a particular sin, you allow a sin in, it tends to get stronger. Unless you deal with it, it gets stronger. Now, we're not supposed to do that. We have... Jesus in us, we have the Holy Spirit in us, and we have victory over sin, but we do at times give place to sin in our lives, and we will produce the kind of fruit that is either good or evil. So there's a reality to our lives, and this is the reality that we are always producing some kind of fruit. Did you know that God created us in such a way that our lives are always producing fruit? Did you know that? It's just a question of what kind it is. And I'm not sure there's any in-between fruit that doesn't matter one way or another. I think it's either good or it's not good. And so we're always doing that. So so our choices, the decisions that we make and the way that we live is either going to be producing good fruit or it's going to be producing negative fruit. It's either going to be producing righteousness and holiness or it's going to be producing sin, lawlessness, and those kinds of things through disobedience. And that's what... Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 5. Let's look at this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, here's the heart of the matter. This is the heart of the matter. Strongholds that are in our thinking. The weapons of our warfare are not 
fleshly or carnal, but they have divine power to the pulling down of strongholds. What are the strongholds? Their thoughts, their ideas, their concepts. It's been described by Francis Frangipan in Three Battlegrounds that a stronghold is a house of thoughts. In other words, we have ideas and thoughts about ourselves, about life, about people, about God, and the only thoughts that we should have are the ones that are in alignment with Scripture. But we tend to have thoughts that are not in alignment with Scripture. I had terrible thoughts about myself when I was a kid. I thought I, thought I was no good, a mess, and would never amount to anything. And as a matter of fact, I used to tell people how bad I was or how nothing I was just because I wanted to hear them say, oh, no, you're okay. And see, I could get encouragement from people by telling, by telling people how bad I was. Anybody, ever run anybody like that? Oh, I'm just a dumb little nothing. Oh, no, you're not. You can, you're good. You can do this. Really? Oh, okay. I'm just a dumb little nothing. No, no, you're okay. You're good. See, that was a house of thoughts that I had about myself that was not in alignment with Scripture. It wasn't true. According to the Bible, it wasn't true. But it was a stronghold of the enemy that I had because he was telling me lies and I was believing them. Okay? So a stronghold in our thinking is a house of thoughts that has been constructed or built in our minds that starts with believing a lie or being involved in sin. And the more we commit that sin and fall into that sin, the enemy comes and he just adds. He, he, he takes that thought and he comes and he dwells there. Okay? Spirits of darkness, where do they dwell? In darkness and in sin. So if my mind is thinking and giving place to thoughts that are not in alignment with the Scripture then what am I doing? I'm giving the enemy access to my mind. I'm giving him a place to rest, to dwell. I'm welcoming him in. We can have good strongholds. I mean, a stronghold can be a good thing. If every time something bad happens to me, I start praising the Lord, that's a good stronghold because I'm running to him. And I've patterned myself. I've tried to learn to do that so that when something bad happens, praise the Lord, even if I don't feel like praising the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I praise him until I feel like praising the Lord. And if I do that all the time, that can be a positive stronghold in me. And I want good strongholds in me. I don't want negative strongholds in me. What I don't want to do is when negative things happen, ah, this always happens to me. What's wrong with me? You idiot. Why did you do that? You forgot this. You, how could you forget that? You're always forgetting things, Ken. What you, why did you do that? There you did it again. You said the wrong thing. You opened your mouth and stuck your foot. You ever talk to yourself that way? Stronghold of the enemy because it's not true about you. But you see, we get into that. So what are we doing when we say those things? We are providing territory, ground for the enemy to come and fill that space up to reinforce what we say. You see, he doesn't have any legal ground unless we give it to him. And the way that we give it to him is by believing it and by speaking it out. We might as well go to the store, buy some nice invitations. They're all embroidered or whatever, and write an open invitation. Enemy, here, come and do this to me. Because it's the same thing. You're inviting him in. You're agreeing with him and not God. And so you produce that kind of fruit. Strongholds are like our default settings. 
You know, default settings on a computer? It's what the computer goes back to, like, there. Our default settings should be godly thoughts, godly ideas, scripture, truth. But many of us, our default settings are somewhere else, and they need to be reset. They need to be reprogrammed. They need to be retrained. We need to be moved in a new direction. Um, strongholds are a, a grid, like a grid or a system or a filter or whatever. Do you ever think about how a group of people can watch an event and it happens, and then you go to them afterwards and you say, okay, what just happened? And you get 25 different answers because everybody perceives things differently? Why is that? Because everybody has a way of interpreting things because of their thinking, okay? You think a certain way because of things that have happened in your past, because of the way you were raised by your parents, and some of it has to do with generational stuff. There's a lot of different things come into play there. And what I'm saying is that these house of thoughts that we have, these strongholds, these concepts that we have in our minds need to be renewed so that they come into alignment with the Scripture. So they come into alignment with the Scripture. That last verse. We've got to cast down arguments in every high thing, every thought, every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. If I think that I'm no good, I'm raising one of my thoughts above the knowledge of God, of what God said about me. I am a child of God. Jesus died for me. He paid an incredible price for me. I was so valuable to him that he gave up his life for me. How can I say I'm worthless and no good? So I need to come and I need to cast down that argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought into captivity and make it obedient to Christ. Every thought. And every thought, can I say it that way? Every thought and every thought, all of them, everything, not just some of them, everything. If we want to walk in holiness and godliness, then every thought needs to come into obedience. And what the scripture is saying is that this is a spiritual process. It's not a fleshly thing. It's not counseling. I'm sorry, counseling can deal, with, can deal with so much. But there are roots to things that are spiritual and they need to be dealt with spiritually. There, there are these fortresses in our minds that are reinforced by the enemy. And so it's a spiritual process to get rid of them that we'll get to in a couple of weeks. But every thought needs to be taken into captivity and made obedient to Christ. And that's what we're after. Default settings need to change. If it takes very little for you to grow to get into fear, something happens and the first your first reaction is fear. That's a stronghold. It's a stronghold of the enemy. He's got a place in you that makes you go there. Why do I know that? Because fear is sin. If the Bible says over and over again, do not fear, over 350 times in the Bible it says, do not fear, don't be anxious, don't worry, don't be concerned, and we go to fear, it's sin. And if you go to fear then that's a stronghold in your life that needs to be dealt with. Generational sin is another type of or form of stronghold that we inherit. Sometimes it's through our sin, through, sometimes it's things that we do, and sometimes it comes generationally. 
from our family line. Okay. We talked about the fact that we're a three-part being. We're spirit, soul, and body. And we described in, in some detail the different aspects of those parts of our, of our being. Our spirit is the part of us that's born again, reborn when we trust Jesus as our Savior. Okay? Our soul is the part that is being sanctified. Our mind, our will, and emotions. That's the part that when we trust Christ as our Savior still contains the residue of the past. Our mind still has thinking patterns that haven't been brought into conformity with the Lord Jesus. Our emotions still have aspects to it that are not still not brought into conformity to the Lord Jesus. Our will still has areas where we've not been brought into conformity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So our spirits are born again, but our soul is the part where we struggle with this stuff. Okay, do you understand that? It's our mind, our will, and our emotions. That's why the Lord who is our shepherd is restoring our soul. He's bringing us to the place where we become more and more like Jesus so that our thoughts come into alignment with his word and with his truth. And so that's the process, the process of sanctification that we're going through right now, that God works in us to see these things happen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25-27 says this, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Well, what's the word foothold? It's a Greek word, topos. What is topos? It's where we get the word topography, which is land, which is territory. And it means a place or license or condition or opportunity. It says, don't sin, don't be angry and, and sin, fall into sin, and don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Don't go to bed angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give him a place. Don't give him license. Don't give him a condition to be there. Don't give him an opportunity. Sin gives the enemy a place. Sin gives the enemy opportunity. Sin gives the enemy license, okay? Now, I know that when we trust Jesus as our Savior, I've heard this, and we heard this argument a lot more 30 years ago. Well, the enemy can't mess with me because I'm a Christian. And, and the enemy has no place in me because I'm a Christian. Okay. Okay. The enemy has no place. Then why do you sin? You know, why do you sin? If, if, if everything, like if you're a new creation in Christ, then why do you sin? If, if the enemy ha- can't get at you, then why do you do things that are wrong? And they don't didn't really have an answer. You don't hear that too much anymore. But we can, we can give the enemy a place, a foothold, by sin, by allowing him in. Now the question here's the question that people have: Well, if I do something wrong, like does he come in like a flood? No, he comes in very slowly, and it's usually a repetitive pattern kind of falling into sin that eventually establishes a foothold or a stronghold. And, and, established. and the more we repeat that sin, the more we fall into that, that thinking, the more we entertain that thinking, the stronger, stronger, and stronger that stronghold becomes. And guess what happens over time? We no longer have control in that area. The enemy has control in that area. You ever feel like somebody can just push your button and you go to a place that you don't want to go? 
and it just happens like that? That's a stronghold. That's a stronghold. It's something where the enemy has gotten a hook into your soul, and all he has to do is go, and away you go, just like that. It takes very little to get angry. It takes very little to get fearful. It takes very... Tell you what, I was so good at, and I have to be careful. I'm still battling, grumbling and complaining. That's so easy to do. It's easy to grumble and complain about people. It's easy to grumble and complain about situations. Just and God hates that. And you know, anything can happen right away. You go to that. It's like it's a stronghold, and all the enemy has to do is just either push a button or he has a little string. It runs all the way to your soul with a little fish hook in it and just goes, root, root, root. And we'd like a little puppet on a string. Yeah, we go through our routine and just say all kinds of things, do all kinds of things. And, and he just has a great old time just yanking our chain all the time. But that's what he does. And so that's how it happens. That's the way that it works. And so we need to get past that. We need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Don't give him a foothold. Now, spirits... Fallen spirits and angels actually are in, in a hierarchy. And we'll see this a little bit later on. They're in a hierarchy. There's a, there's a very organized system of, of angels, demons, and all those kinds of things. There's high ones and low ones, and there's some, we know that there are some angels that have names, like Michael the archangel and um, Gabriel. But then there are other spirits, lesser spirits, whose names is their character. In other words, spirit of fear. The Bible talks about a spirit of fear. And I believe that there are actually demons who are fear demons. And when we give in to fear and, the, and, and, uh, and that becomes a stronghold in life, I believe that they're there just either whispering in our ear or they just, they've taken up resonance in that whole thought system that we have so that whenever they want, they're the ones that actually bring it about. Um. Spirit of fear, spirit of jealousy, spirit of heaviness, spirit of prostitution. These are all from Scripture that I just pulled out. Spirit of infirmity, spirit of slumber, spirit of meekness, spirit of faith. There are angels that are spirits of faith. Um, spirit of wisdom and revelation, spirit of glory. So there are some angels and demons whose their name is their character. And so that when we deal with these things, we actually name the, the issue called spirit. Now, if that freaks you out, if, if you have a hard time with that, that, you know, that demons are, it helps me to picture this stuff. You know, it helps me to, to see it from that perspective because it's easier to deal with. You feel like you're dealing with something a little more tangible than just something nebulous. If you don't like to think that the demons are in your, somehow affecting your soul, just think that they're sitting on your shoulder and whispering in your ear. I don't care how you picture it. But all I know is that our sin gives them access. Now, I'm not talking about demon possession either. There's another thing that came up years ago. Demon possession is when a demon has control of somebody's spirit. And if you trusted Christ as your Savior, then that's not an issue. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm not talking about demons having possession of people. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is oppression or affliction where they have access because of sin. They have a legal right because of sin. So 
when we fall into things or when we have patterns of sin, they, they build a house and they take more and more territory. They take more and more control. And they start to control us and yank us around and do what they want. There's two points of access through our own sin or generationally is the way that I believe that. There's one other way. One other way that, that sometimes people are afflicted with um, these kinds of strongholds, and it can be through trauma. Traumas. If somebody's in an accident and head trauma, many people with head trauma are then afflicted with a spirit of fear. And they're worried the rest of their lives that something's going to happen to them because they've been damaged before by that. Or people that have been abused physically, sexually, those kinds of things, they're, they're is a kind of another kind of trauma that comes in and strongholds that are established. But really, those are come from believing a lie about yourself when the trauma occurred. So it kind of is the same thing, but that's the way it, that's the way it happens. Okay. Now the question that I came up with for me, I, I said, okay, God, I'm beginning to understand all these things, but why are you doing this? Why does the enemy have access? Give me a reason why you allow this to happen. Why does the enemy have access? Why don't you set us free from that? I thought Jesus went to the cross, died on the cross, shed his blood, paid for all this, and we have freedom. Why is there this struggle? Why do they have access? Why? I just wanted to understand better. And then I found these verses in Judges chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, and I go, duh, okay, I get it. In Judges, what has happened in Judges is Joshua has already brought the children of Israel from the wanderings in the wilderness over Moses. Joshua took over, brought the people into the land. They conquered a lot of enemies in the land of Canaan, in the promised land. And then Joshua died. Then came the period of Judges where the people did whatever they wanted to. And we come to this. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. He leaves the enemy in the land because he wants to teach us warfare. Do you hear me? He wants us to learn to fight. I thought that when the Israelites went into the promised land that everything was going to be milk and honey, right? Everything's going to be glorious. Let's go to this promised land and everything's going to be wonderful. We aren't going to have problems. Everything's going to be just fine for us. Wonderful. Great. And this verse says, uh -uh. he left some of those nations in there so that they would learn warfare because they hadn't had previous battle experience. Next verse, please. The five rulers of the Philistines and all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites, living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to Lobeth, Lebohamath. Next one. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their ancestors through Moses. God allows the enemy to have access through sin to test us and to teach us warfare. Isn't that amazing? I read this verse, and I, you know, I was pondering all this stuff like 20 years ago, pondering all this stuff, trying to make sense of it, because for me, whenever God does something, there's always a really, really good reason why he does it. And if I haven't come up with the reason, then I know I just haven't discovered it yet. It's like, 
I don't know why he's letting us battle. I don't want to fight. I mean, once you learn that you're in a battle, then you're, <clears throat> you're always in a battle, right? And if you just ignore the battle, then who cares? Then you're just oblivious and you just get pounded into the ground like who knows what. But he wants us to fight. He wants us to learn to fight, and he wants us to learn. He wants to test us. Go to the next slide, which is verse 5, please. And the Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and they took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. What they did, you see what what the Israelites did, is they didn't obey the voice of the Lord, and they, they adopted the practices, the beliefs, the lifestyle of the enemy. Duh. What is it when we believe lies about ourselves? What is it when we fall into sin? When our patterns of thinkings are, thinking are not in alignment with the scriptures, with Jesus, the word. We've adopted the thoughts and the thinking of the world. And what is the result of that? More lawlessness, more difficulties, more problems, more struggles. It just increases. And so it's really, I see that God, what God is doing in all of this is that he allows the difficulties to come. And many of the difficulties that we experience are a result of our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own sin, because we're welcoming it. We're giving it access We're giving it permission. We're giving it license because we have sympathetic thoughts, thoughts that are compatible to the lies of the enemy rather than the truth. And so God's wanting to allow that so that we pursue him and say, okay, God, I want an answer. I want an answer to these things. I want an answer to these issues. I I want to be free from the junk that's coming against me. We talked about this in Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments, that the iniquities of the fathers are passed down to the children. They're visited upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Well, I read that verse and I thought, I don't like that. Why? You know why? Well, it's because he wants to teach us warfare, and he actually uses it to test us to see if we'll be obedient and faithful to him. The truth of the matter is that there's freedom in Jesus, and that's why Jesus went to the cross, and he did break the power of sin. He broke the power of the enemy. But it's not like you just snap your finger and you're free. He actually gives us a part to play in all of this. And the reason that he gives us a part to play is because he wants to teach us warfare. He wants to teach us to fight. He wants to teach teach us how to battle. He wants to see if we'll follow through and pursue him all the way so that we get the freedom that he has for us. But it doesn't just fall into our laps. There's a responsibility that we have. And there's a recognition that needs to come on our parts that we're willing to deal with it. And to take responsibility for our lives, what's going on in our minds. And actually, it, when you, from my perspective now, I thought, well, it's actually kind of cool. It's actually kind of fun. It's actually kind of neat. That there is a way, and we're going to talk more and more about how we gain freedom. But we need to understand the mechanics of it. We need to understand the legal ground that the enemy has so that we're aware of it, so that we don't fall prey to it. I don't like to think about the enemy a lot. I don't like to talk about him a lot. I actually prefer laughing at him. And not in derision or in, in haughtiness, but just in the fact that I know that it's a settled issue. 
It's a settled issue. He's defeated. And he doesn't have power. And if he does have power, I've given it to him somehow. And I need to find out where it was and get rid of it. Now deal with it and move on. And the more free that I become, the more I'm able to help other people find freedom. The more free that you become, the more you're able to help people find freedom because you've already walked the path. And you can say, well, listen, it really works because it worked for me. (laughs) It really worked. I found freedom in the Lord. I found it. He showed me how to do it. I walked out the path, and now I can help you to walk through it and, and gain freedom too. This is what Jesus said, and I love this. I love this. He's talking to his disciples in John chapter 14. He's telling them he's going to prepare a mansion for them. You know, that verse where he said, I'm going away, but I'm going to my father. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that when you come, you're going to have this beautiful place to live. And then he says, I will not talk with you much more for the prince, the evil, the genius ruler of this world is coming and he has no claim on me. You understand what he's saying? He has nothing in common with me. There are no strongholds in Jesus' thought process where the enemy has access. There is nothing in me that belongs to him, and he has no power over me. Do you hear me? That's where he wants us to live, in that place where the enemy has nothing in us and no power over us. And see, we're to be imitators of Jesus. That's why they call people who follow Jesus Christians or little Christs, because the enemy has nothing... That's why he wants to teach us warfare. That's why he wants to, he allows us to be tested so that we can come to the place where we can say, the evil genius or ruler of this world comes against me. He has no claim on me. He has no buttons to push. He has no hooks in me where tied to a string where he yanks and along I come. It's just not there. It's just not there. Can we have that kind of freedom? Absolutely. Absolutely. That is, that is because of the power of the cross of Jesus and what he did for us on that cross. The freedom that he bought us, the price that he paid was to destroy all the works of the devil. And that doesn't mean all, just all the bad things that are going around me, but all the works of the devil that I've kept in here. The thoughts and ideas that I've protected, that I've protected, because I'm afraid sometimes to let them go. And so there is freedom. We are going to get to that, how we, how we deal with this. And again, it's simple. This whole problem can seem complicated, but the solution is simple. God always makes it simple. Not necessarily easy, but simple. So it's easy for us all to understand and grasp. 